Tonight we're going to look at the way several phenomena are connected. Phenomenon 1. Hey, did you notice that when that guy came into the room, the mood totally changed? Phenomenon 2. Let me smell that. Ah, uh, no, don't eat that. Just throw it out. Phenomenon 3. I don't know why, but I just feel totally drained today. And on top of that, we're going to connect the dots to the fields of color people report seeing around each other and the life of bees. How's it all connected and what does it mean? We're going to look at that tonight. Stay tuned. some aura facts you're in the right place this is swedenborg in life thanks for coming out on a monday night everybody my name is curtis and i'm going to be the host and if you want to be part of it get your questions and your comments so we're going to talk about auras as i said which is a term that you'd think was pretty modern but i guess the phenomena certainly has been described across the ages and even in the at least the current translation of swedenborg that exact word aura is used. So, yeah, Swedenborg had this huge report on the nature of the existence and the afterlife and reality and the spiritual dimension. Where does auras fit in? What are they? Where do they come from? This is what we're looking at today. We're going to pick it up with the question, auras? Not a complete sentence that question but it's got to go this is the age of the web grammar is gone we can just name it auras uh, so what what are they you probably get a lot of different definitions of that this is the phenomena as swedenborg described it and we'll take a look at some other uh definitions too but this is this is swedenborg's basic definition uh starting in secrets of heaven 1505 our aura is like an image of ourselves projected outside of us. In fact, it is an image of everything inside us. What presents itself to view or to perception in the world of spirits, however, is only a general approximation. In heaven, on the other hand, our character is recognized in a more specific way. No one but the Lord, though, knows what we are like down to the smallest details. Okay, some Swedenborg terminology. First, we got the aura is, is us projected outside of us, right? That's relatively standard. He also says, though, that the world of spirits, it looks a particular way, and that in the light of heaven, it looks different. Those are two different levels of the spirit that Swedenborg describes. Uh, essentially, the world of spirits is like the waiting room of the afterlife. Everybody goes there shortly after they've died, and that is a place where everything's kind of mixed. You know a little bit less about what's going on. Heaven is, you probably heard of heaven? Yeah, that's that's the place that you aspire toward, and there, there's more wisdom, there's more clarity. So actually, the way you see an aura, or this person's personality projected around them, the more clearly you can see it, all right? So that's part one. Let's return to Secrets of Heaven 1505. I learned, this is about how we get auras, so that's what they are, and how did you get that thing in the first place? I learned how we acquire auras, which become so tangible in the other world. To put it in a comprehensible terms, take the example of people who have formed an opinion of themselves as superior to others. They eventually develop the habit and the instinct, so to speak, of focusing on themselves whenever they see other people or talk to them, wherever they go. They do so consciously at first and then unconsciously so that they themselves become blind to it. 
Still, the habit, habit governs every one of their gestures and words, just as it governs every one of their feelings and thoughts. This is something we are capable of noticing in others. <laughs> you, you maybe have noticed this in other people. Such a trait is what creates an aura in the next life. And others perceive that aura, but not more often than the Lord allows. The same is true with other attitudes as well. As a result, there are as many auras as there are moods and combination of moods, which are countless. So here he's asserting that the way that we think and feel, our moods, our attitude about life, that's what's radiating out. The thoughts and feelings are what's radiating out and creating this aura around us. As I said, it's our personality made visible, made tangible and perceptible around us. And this, and then he talks about, what is, so you've got this thing floating around you, why does it matter? What does it do? Secrets of Heaven 1504, in the other life, one individual recognizes another's character as soon as that other approaches, even if she or he says nothing. This experience reveals the fact that our inward reaches are somehow active although we are unaware of it, and that their activity enables others to perceive what kind of spirit we are. I was able to see the truth of this by observing that the aura of this activity not only radiates far and wide, but sometimes, when the Lord allows it, again, a lot of it's about the divine design, when is God opening our eyes to these things, makes itself perceptible in various ways. So, there you have Two people, their auras are what interact, this is how people can really tell what the other one is like. It's responsible for this transparency. Yeah, Swedenborg says, hey man, there's this life, we're hanging out, you have no idea what kind of people, you don't know what kind of person I am, you just see me on YouTube. Oh, he seems nice, I could be the meanest person in the world, you don't know for sure, right? And I don't, (laughs) actually, I know, I do know you guys are the nicest people in the world. So it does go one way, but you know what I mean? You don't know exactly what kind of person you're dealing with. When you contract somebody to work on your plumbing, you don't know if they're giving you a fair price. But in the spiritual world, there is this transparency. There's, There's this honesty to the world. And it's, a lot of it comes back to this aura that you can tell right away what somebody's like through this phenomenon. All right. So if you're still with us, you're probably going to be with us for a while, so let's get going. That was just our, our first train stop. Now we're going to take the line down to look at the visible aura. Okay, so let's take a little Swedenborg break here. A break from Swedenborg, I should say, because probably most of you have heard of this phenomenon of aura, and you haven't heard of it through Swedenborg. This is something that's being reported all over the place, a lot of different traditions. Let's hear about just an everyday person who started to see auras. This is from a website uh, that is called psychicexperiences.com. It's just where you can... Part of it is you can just go and report. Have you had any strange phenomena? You can just report it. This is from this particular story. We took that text and just had somebody read it and put some visuals on it. But this is a very tangible, interesting story about the day when somebody just out of nowhere saw an aura. After doing two months of meditation, I've been noticing an increase in frequency in psychic happenings. However, I never set the intention to see auras and I saw an aura the other day for the first time. While at a staff training, I was very politely and intently paying attention to the instructor. I was taking notes, and about 20 minutes had gone by. Everything was normal and status quo. Then I looked up from my paper to look at the instructor, and all of a sudden, she had this massive white glow around her body, going out about two feet in diameter and going around her entire body. The light was very lively, moving in and out like a beating heart. 
and it was opaque and dense. I could not see through it. The edges were alive and swirled like white balls of energy were rolling off. I was in shock. I thought, I must be dehydrated. I have never experienced this. So, thinking there was a logical answer, I turned to my left to look at other people. No one else had this. So then I turned around. No one else had this. I looked down at my hand, and my hand was not glowing white. I looked up again, and she was still glowing white. She touched the computer, and then the computer started glowing white. It was instant, like her energy went through the computer. Then as she walked away from the computer, her energy flowed back against the air. I have never seen anything so beautiful. I rubbed my eyes several times. I can't explain what I saw, but it was amazing. It's interesting that it's just the instructor, right, that has it. Uh, and I wonder if that's, Swedenborg talks a lot about the importance of usefulness. And that in this group, everybody's learning. There's one person who's the fountain of information. I don't know what the presentation was on, but you got to assume it was some great presentation. There's this one person who's sort of this fountain of knowledge and wisdom, and they're the one who's glowing in this particular instance. Interesting, right? And so that, that's a modern one, but let's take a look back at, at sort of the history of, of spiritual art. This is a quote that we have um, from a, there's, it's a website called Biofield Global Research. I get, these are guys who are trying to measure these things tangibly. And they're talking, though, about symbolism uh, in, in religious art. Since ancient times, we have seen pictures and paintings of different spiritual leaders across various traditions, but one thing is common among all of them is that the halo that surrounds their head, which is known as the aura energy field, and not only surrounds just the head, but also extends all around your body. This aura represents your physical, mental, emotional, as well as spiritual energies. The aura is often seen a mix of fine-colored frequencies, where each color defines its own individual nature and characteristics. The vibration of this aura is very fine and subtle, so we need very fine instruments to detect it. In scientific, scientific research, we have found that the aura is, is an electromagnetic field of energy that extends all around our body for about 45 feet in an average healthy body and appears to be depleted in the case of an unhealthy person. So, are they really detecting it with, with uh, instruments that can measure electromagnetic fields? I don't know. We just, I just wanted to use that as an example of people who are going at it and saying not only that, that it's something tangible, but yeah, the, the reason that you see this in all kinds of paintings, these halos and auras is because this is something that really goes on so but that quote brings up this question you know they're saying they can measure it it's electromagnetic are these auras we're talking about are these physical or are they spiritual i mean are they physical things is it just is it just like ultraviolet light that you can't see with your normal eyes but like a mantis shrimp can see or, or is this a spiritual phenomenon it's that's not a, there's, there's no measurable physical component. This is a so which is it? Uh, according to Swedenborg, both. If you can take that spiritual experiences four two o three, he says a spiritual aura is around everyone, as well as an earthly aura and a bodily one. We'll make it three just to confuse everyone. That the latter exists is obvious to everyone from the exhalation of effluvia which is so abundant as to form a kind of sea around a person, as scholars have proved by many experiments. You know, effluvia. <laughs> What's effluvia? Uh, it's, a, it's a slight or invisible exhalation of vapor. Ah, there we go. Stick that sticker where it belongs. Especially one that is disagreeable or noxious. So just, there's a field of things coming off. And Swedenborg is saying, hey man, there's a spiritual, uh, and there's and sort of two physical levels. We're going to be looking 
a lot at the spiritual side of things, but that's not to say there isn't some kind of physical energy field or aura, okay? The takeaway is we don't, I don't know, I don't understand the whole phenomenon. We're just giving you all the appropriate pieces that we have. So this is going to be somebody reading Swedenborg, a quote of his, where he's talking more about not only the spiritual versus physical thing, but also it's not just people that can have aura. So this is what he had to say. I have also noticed that an aura flows out not only from angels and spirits, but also from absolutely everything you see in that world. From trees and their fruits there, for example. From shrubs and their blossoms. From plants and grasses. Even from soils and their particles. I could therefore see that this is a universal characteristic of things both living and lifeless that everything is surrounded by something resembling what lies within it, and that this is constantly breathing forth. The experience of numerous scholars informs us that something like this happens in the physical world. For example, an outgoing wave is constantly flowing from individuals and from every animal, also from trees, fruits, shrubs, and flowers, and even from metals and stones. The physical world gets this from the spiritual world, and the spiritual world gets it from divinity. So the physical gets it from the spiritual, and the spiritual gets it from divinity. That is a concept a lot that, that happens a lot in Swedenborg, that the physical world is reflecting things in the spiritual world, that they're not just these isolated things that don't resemble each other at all, but it's not a direct one-to-one. There, there's sort of a representation. We're going to look at that heavily next section, but stay in this section because there's interesting stuff still to come. We're going to take a look now at these spiritual auras that Swedenborg describes. What are they like? Here's an opening quote, Secrets of Heaven 1519. This is about an angel's aura. An angel's aura can be displayed visibly as an atmosphere or nimbus, and these are so beautiful, so sweet, sweet and so full of variety that they could never be described. And it makes sense, if you think about it, if by the, the earlier definition that we laid out, an aura is somebody's personality around them. Uh, an angel, obviously, is just going to have a really beautiful field for you to experience. But he gets more specific than just saying, I can't describe this. He at times does describe the different sorts of auras that appear. So we're going to take a look first at Heaven and Hell 382. He says, the affections and thoughts that flow from heavenly marriage love, this is the love of married partners in heaven, are represented by gleaming auras, like those of fiery gems or rubies. Did you freak out at home? Yeah, this is a real aura. And all this accompanied by feelings of delight that move the deeper levels of the mind. So it's like fiery gems and rubies, um, because precious stones are symbols of... uh, of precious truths, you know, stones being a symbol of truths. This is something universally across Swedenborg. So that's one kind of aura he described. Secrets of Heaven 1116, he says, certain kinds of angels live in an aura, so to speak, of resplendent, pearly, and sometimes diamond-like light. For there are wonderful auras in the other life of inexpressible variety. Again, this this is dealing with the other symbol of truth, which is light. And that this aura of this kind of light is a symbol for the truth that's streaming into their mind from the divine. Right? So this is that's sort of the mechanical reason why you see this aura around them. And then in true Christianity 736, 
He's telling a story. He was in front of these evil spirits, and he says, A dense fog rose up from below. As certain evil spirits breathed it in, their heads began to swell, and they straightened up on their thrones and seats and came to fully believe that they were now kings and princes. That fog was the aura of the fantasy that now inspired them. So here, this is like he got to see visibly this delusion rise up and take over these people's minds. That when it hit them, they're like, Oh, yeah, man, I am the king of this area which they weren't but when this darkness hit him he could see the spiritual world is the mental world so you can see these phenomena that are usually internal you can see them occurring in the spiritual world all right so then divine love and wisdom 292 he says i've fairly often been allowed to perceive that there is this kind of aura around an angel or spirit and that there is a general aura around groups and communities so not just individuals but whole groups emit their own kind of aura i've also been allowed to see this aura in various guises sometimes in heaven looking like a faint flame and in hell like a harsh flame sometimes in heaven looking like a delicate and bright cloud and in hell like a dense black cloud i have also been allowed to sense these auras as different kinds of aroma and stench this has convinced me that everyone in heaven and everyone in hell is surrounded by an aura made up of substances distilled and separated from his or her body. So part of them coming out. And in this particular quote, I think it's interesting, the dichotomies. He says that, hey, there's this this bright kind of light flaming aura that can come from angels in heaven. And he also talks about this burning, fiery, or you might associate this with evil, the, the fire, evil, hellfire kind of thing. And you see fire itself it can be a blessing or a curse. You know, right now there's all this kind of horrible stuff going on in the American West with with fire burning people's homes down, you know. And on the other hand, fire is what let, you know, let us cook food, you know, and, and be warm. So in heaven and in hell, you see the good fire as an image of good love and this dark fire as a consuming sort of passion and evil evil kind of cravings, right? He also talks about clouds and that there is sort of a, a darker obstructing cloud that is like the aura of hell and the falsity there. And then you have this brighter kind of, you know, beautiful cloud that is the aura of the truth in heaven. You see this with clouds, they can be dark and obstructing or they can be beautiful, you know, and that this is kind of also the juxtaposition of love and wisdom, meaning the Swedenborg says all of us have two basic elements in us, feelings and thoughts is what it would come down to. And the fire auras that we saw, that's representative of the state of your feelings or what you love. And the, the, the clouds, that's representative of the state of your thoughts or what you believe about life and about the world. All right. So those are a couple of auras and what we think they might look like and a little behind them. But auras don't just appear visually. They also appear in smell form. So, and you heard him mention it at the end of Divine Love and Wisdom quote that we read that you can smell auras. And we're going to look, and actually that, that smell is actually the sense that corresponds to auras, sensing auras in the other life. And so we're going to look a little bit at correspondences here. This is a concept that hopefully you're familiar with if you've been watching this show for any amount of time. If you're not, I'm going to re-explain it. This is that connection, physical, spiritual world that I was talking about before, which means that phenomena in the spiritual world are echoed here in the physical world. Uh, so phenomena in the mental, emotional world are echoed in the physical world that we interact with out here. So 
Swedenborg says that odor, smell, is the physical equivalent of aura in the spirit. Meaning that the way smells affect us and the way smells behave, that's the way auras behave in the next life. Does that make sense? So we're going to, with that concept in mind, we're going to take a look. We have our good friend, Dr. Ed Higgins, who's going to describe to us the physical mechanism of smell. And if you have your correspondence's goggles on, as he's describing how physical smell works, you think about what does that mean on a spiritual level? Uh, what do we, when we learn about how physical smell works on a functional biological level, how would that apply in spirit? Make no sense? All right, I'll be walking us through it as we go. So here's Ed telling us the, some of the basics of smell. If I think about smell, one of the first things that I thought when I was kind of uh, digging into this some was it, it seems to be the, the least respected of our five senses. If you think about the other senses, I, I think smell kind of gets the short end of the, the sensory stick. I think some of that is that um, over the years, as uh, humans evolved, we've, we've become more dependent upon vision you know, to, to help us interact with the world and less so smell, whereas a lot of other mammals have, have stayed very smell dependent. But I think smell is still really important. I mean, it, we smell fire, it keeps us safe. We smell if a piece of fish has gone bad. We stop and smell the roses, you know, little, little things like that. that I, I think smell needs more respect. Smell alerts us to things that the other senses couldn't. For example, you know, you can't see a fire, but you can smell, oh, there's smoke. We got to get out of here. Or, oh, this fish, it looks good. You can tell, wait, something is not good about this, that there's this ability of smell to perceive things in the physical world that we couldn't otherwise. And Swedenborg says that that's what the ability to perceive aura in the, in the spirit is like. You can, even if somebody looks, and you can sort of get a, an analog in the way we interact with people here, you can say, like, this person seems polished, you know, they, they have, like, they're, they're well-dressed, they talk in a friendly way, but something seems wrong about them. He's saying that that's, that's kind of like sniffing something out, like, wait, I, I smell a rat. Like the, we use phrases, something smells fishy about this to describe a similar kind of phenomenon. That's the way correspondence works. You get it? All right. Here's another uh, physical description from him, and then we'll look at what it might mean spiritually. What we are smelling generally are volatile compounds. So, meaning chemicals that are relatively um, easily made into a vapor. They evaporate easily. So, if you think about something like a rock, a piece of metal, it doesn't really contain these volatile compounds. We don't really think. Oh yeah, that smells like steel. But something like an orange, like a flower, gives off lots of these volatile compounds that we, we can then detect pretty easily. So once something gets, once I have one of these volatilized compounds, mostly organic compounds, uh, moves up to the very upper area of a person's nose. It's an area there called a, um, olfactory mucosa. Fancy kind of medical term for the nasal lining where we have all of these little nerve endings. It's the only place in the human body where we have nerves that directly contact the outside world. So there, you, the only place in the human body where the nerves actually touch the outside world. That, to me, that, that's where your ability to sense things is really coming into contact with the environment. So on a spiritual level, this ability to perceive aura that Swedenborg is talking about, that's where you can really sense what's going on in a deeper way than your other senses provide. You know, because the, this, is, this is where you really touch what's the real essence of the thing, you know? Well, I, anyway, I'll, I'll try not to interrupt as much, but let him talk a little bit more about the way smell works. 
And then lots of these receptors sit in an area, roughly, in most people, it's about a postage stamp on each side, about five square centimeters. Uh, if you think about a cat, it's about 120th what a human mass is, twice as much area dedicated to that mucosa. So it gives you an idea of um, where we've gone in terms of, of how important our bodies think smell is. So about relatively close to the surface in this olfactory mucosa, we have all these nerve endings. Um, each one of these nerve endings genetically coded for an individual smell type. So most of us have about 350 different genes giving us one of these nerve endings. More complex smells, so combinations of those 350 types, lets the average person detect roughly 2,000 to about 4,000 different scents, odors, some people up to about 10,000 sometimes by combining all those different sites. So since we have um, individually coded genetic nerve fiber, some people lack a certain gene, they can't smell a certain smell. So certain smells can be lost while you'll have other cells retained if you lack a certain gene. Okay, so I said I wasn't going to interrupt anymore, but I have to right there because two things. The idea that, that some people, that we can smell a certain amount, but some people can smell a bunch more, isn't that like you're, some, you're able to perceive what's right and wrong, what's good and true, but some people really have this deep understanding of of the truth and, and of what love really is. And that's like these, you can have extra smells and then that you can be missing the ability to smell particular smells. And if we're looking at it in a negative sense, you think about groups of people or cultures or something that just seem to not understand that something is wrong, is harming people. They just like, almost like a society at, at, in a given point in history has lost the ability to smell that smell. Like they don't, they don't, they can't smell that something is rotten. Or on the other side, you, you don't have any idea how to act well in a situation. There's a, there's a vacancy of the truth. I feel like that, there, there's got to be some kind of correlation there between the ability to smell or not smell things and smell things better and this human ability to perceive what is actually harmful, what is actually helpful. But, you know, oftentimes it seems like we're all plugged up. You know what I mean? Okay, okay. I'm going to leave him alone. I'll let him talk. Here you go. So now I have all these nerve fibers sitting there. This volatile compound comes along, links to the fiber that it is meant to be linked to, you know, because they are specific fibers. Starts a little chemical reaction that'll then trigger the electronic signal that we think of as a nerve, it's a nerve firing. Um, signal travels uh, back up the olfactory nerve. It's the first cranial nerve in the human body. Um, what separates smell again from, from the other senses, this goes directly to an area where we, we detect the smell immediately. It doesn't go through a processing center first. All the other primary senses um, travel through a processing center before we actually detect it. But we can say, we can say right away, well, I smell something. That's the detection part. What is it? That's a second layer. After I've detected smell, secondary fibers then go to a couple other brain areas where we can process it. Uh, one of those instances, those fibers go to the area where we also detect taste. So smell and taste very closely linked. Food doesn't taste as good if you have a bad cold because smell definitely plays a role in that. Okay, uh, this is my last interruption. Food doesn't taste as good if you can't smell it. We talked about in other episodes that on a spiritual level, food is loving actions, or as Swedenborg would call it, good 
good actions. Uh, so if you can't smell, if you can't perceive why something is good or the nature of goodness in that it doesn't taste as good, like like doing the things, if you don't get the help, if you don't understand the ways that you're helping, it doesn't feel as good. I mean, that, that definitely takes place if you're volunteering or doing some kind of project. You don't really connect with the good you're doing. It's like, okay, this is fine. But once, when you start to do something and you understand the effect it's having, the good that it's doing, there's a much better meal. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I won't, this will be the last one. Uh, take it away, Ed. Uh, one of the other association areas, kind of detection areas, that's where we have memory there. Smells generally evoke pretty strong memories for a lot of people. It's an interesting part to this, too. We also then send inhibitory fibers back out to those sensory nerves that can uh, dampen the smell or else maybe even uh, crank it up a little bit. So when you're very hungry, food smells a little bit better. Right, because those inhibitory fibers will be shut off. If, if you're very sick, the food maybe smells a little bit worse because we are telling our, ourselves, I don't want to smell that. I want to shut that sense down. And I'll let you make your own conclusions about what that means and anything else with smell. But do you understand the concept of correspondence that we actually have all the information on the way spirit, the spiritual side of things works? It's in the physical. You just got to know a couple little keys on, on how to read it. All right. So let's take a look at Secrets of Heaven 1514. Auras present, also present themselves through the sense, to the sense through odors, which spirits are much more keenly sensitive to than people on earth are. In fact, auras correspond to smells amazingly enough. These smells cannot be picked up by any earthly person except one whose inner senses have been opened to allow companionship with spirits, as Swedenborg claimed to be open to that. You will get people who have various kinds of spiritual experiences who say that they smell something. If, Especially, I hear this from people who have had somebody that they love die, and they say, oh, I smelled her perfume, or, or I smelled his cigar, and that that's how they know the person's around. So there's some kind of smell. And Swedenborg described that if he had, when he had his spiritual senses open, that included spiritual nose, and through that, being able to smell. So we're going to take you through a few of the smells of auras that Swedenborg found. So we'll begin with the aura of people who had what what we could call semi-genuine charm. And that's like people who would compliment and, and be kind. And there was some truth in it, but it was generally sort of flattery or to get something. So it was sort of a mixture of, of genuine caring and not genuine caring. And he said that smells like wine that he would get a smell of wine from those people. And then uh, the next one is burnt bread. People who speak elegantly but only to impress, who are, are basically trying to show off, like if I was on this show and I was stretching my vocabulary a lot to, to try to convince you guys that I'm smart, that would be if you had your spiritual nostrils opened and you could smell through the computer, I'd smell like burnt bread, right? Okay, then further from that... Uh, we're getting a little bit grosser here. Bed bugs. I, I didn't. I don't know what bed bugs smell like. I don't know if you guys have ever been around them. Or, but Swedenborg says extreme greediness. People who have an, an aura of greed smelled like bed bugs. And this is interesting because it places like you. You do. Know, we have these horrible smells in the world. And why? Why do they smell so bad? And Swedenborg says that they're actually these kinds of smells that we ugh, are illustrations of the, the nature we're actually perceiving evil, but in a correspondence way, you know what I mean? Um, it's not like you go and a certain room smells a certain way, that means there's evil in it, there's physical causes for that, but on a spiritual level, those smells are representative of these 
certain evils. Does that make sense? I hope so. Okay, so now that we've, we're going to go a little bit deeper in. We're actually going to take a look at, oh, never mind. This was too gross. We couldn't show the picture. He says, deceptiveness and pretense smells like vomit. This is where we start to get into sort of these are the grossest smells, and on a spiritual level, that smells a representative of some of the grosser ways that human beings can act. But if you thought that was bad, you're really going to like this one. Uh, again, we, we cannot show any of it. Oh, we didn't even get the graphic to do the full world, but I'll, I'll fill you in. Indulged in physical pleasure without neighborly love. Excrement. That's what that's going to say. So he says, he says that if you are like that, you're just about physical pleasure and you push away caring about anyone, you stink like poop in the afterlife, man. <laughs> get that cleaned up. But it goes further than that. Um, people who are into adultery, meaning like cheating, like stealing people's spouses away and like get joy out of breaking up marriages and infidelity, you smell like what he says, even worse excrement. It's, there's different levels of, I'm sorry, this is getting too gross. Okay, and then finally, another image not available, intense hatred. People who have intense hatred smell, their aura smells like a corpse. When we're walking around, you can be, you know, whenever there's some kind of killer or something that goes on the news, this person killed this many people, everyone who knows them, I never imagined this person could do this. You can be walking around with intense hatred and nobody knows, but in the spiritual world, you stink. People can smell, that hatred itself smells, you know what I mean? Okay, let's end this on some kind of positive note. Love or faith, he talks about all these kinds of good things. Uh, If you have love, and wisdom inside you. You have an aura like flowers or perfumes, he says, with unlimited variety. So it's just all, you know, all kinds of auras of, of kindness and goodness. So we're going to take a look at some of these good auras in uh, a little video segment that we're bringing back we haven't done for a while. It's called Correspondences. It's like everything in this section. And this is where we cannot give you smells through the computer. So what you're going to have to do is remember smells. But what we're going to do is show you just a few images of things that smell like, Swedenborg says, heavenly auras smell like. So just see the images, imagine the smells, and think of those as those good smells are representations of this kind of love in a human being. That's what it smells like, all right? So we'll just take take a look, relax, and just think about the smell and, and think about that smell as an indicator of this is me perceiving directly what that kind of goodness is like. So here's the video. you like those smells but he, t- he talks about bread and, and flowers and lemon and that kind of stuff all that you know this kind of uh the the thought behind aromatherapy and so this smell kind of uh mood connection is kind of what we want to look at now and we'll begin it with an article and this is actually people who realize that there is this connection in a physical way um this is from the journal of physiology and behavior and i want to read it because this is people 
trying to essentially create a physical analog for an aura using smell. The goal of this study was to investigate the impact of the essential oils of orange and lavender on anxiety, mood, alertness, and calmness in dental patients. 200 patients between the ages of 18 and 77, half women, half men, were assigned to one of the four independent groups. While waiting for dental procedures, patients were either stimulated with ambient odor of orange or ambient odor of lavender. These conditions were compared to a musical condition and a control condition. No odor, no music. Anxiety, mood, alertness, and calmness were addressed while patients waited for dental treatment. Statistic analysis revealed that compared to the control condition, both ambient odors of orange and lavender reduced reduced anxiety and improved moods in patients waiting for dental treatment. These findings support the previous opinion that odors are capable of altering emotional states and may indicate that the use of colors is helpful in reducing anxiety in dental patients. Uh, That could all be boiled down to smells make you feel good smells make you feel good so if there is this uh physical connection between smell and mood on a spiritual level there must be a connection between aura and mood you know what i mean that's how correspondences work and there actually is according to swedenborg that very connection we're going to take a look at it now in our next section So we talked about how auras looked, we talked about how they smell, and here we're going to talk about how they affect people emotionally. And we're going to begin, we ended with an article, we're going to begin with a few articles, and we just do this because we want to show that there, this is, this is how things operate in the, in the world that we're in, because we are in physical and spiritual world at the same time. So there is a mood effect that people have on each other just in this world, as well as in the spiritual. So we'll look at this world first. All right, so this is a study. We're just going to show you some abstracts from these journals and summarize it. There was participants in an experiment who thought they were being tested for text comprehension. They listened to speech that was spoken in a slightly sad or happy voice. The study found that a congruent mood state was induced in the listener. So just hearing a happy or sad person can make you like that. Next, um, there was two studies who investigated whether people's moods are influenced by the collective mood of their work teammates over time. The findings suggest that people's mood at work can become linked to the mood of their teammates. So there's sort of this, uh, yeah, auric mood connection. And then finally, in a study that had work groups with a trained leader enacting certain mood conditions, so they had a leader who was actually in on it acting out certain moods, it was found that there was a significant influence of emotional contagion on individuals' attitudes and the group processes. The positive emotional contagion group experienced improved cooperation, decreased conflict, and increased perceived task performance. All right, so the point is moods can travel in this world as well, whether that's through spiritual, whether it's just through physical, I don't know. This study didn't say. Uh, So it does happen though. And actually to look at one more physical example, especially that has to do with that last one about leaders, we're going to look a little bit at bees because the way that bees communicate physically is a lot like the way auras affect people spiritually, as Swedenborg describes it. And bees do this communication not through what we would call auras, but through what we would call pheromones. So what is a pheromone? We got a beekeeper to tell us what it's all about. The pheromone is really just a chemical liquid or vapor that releases into the air. And when it releases into the air, it's a very quick and easy means of communicating something and eliciting a reaction very quickly. So that 
So that's a pheromone, and what we're going to look at now in this next segment is a description, again, of a physical world phenomenon, bees, how do bees interact and communicate through these pheromones, and just while you're seeing them, have it in mind, this is perhaps an image of how we affect each other from an aura standpoint. All right, so here's going a little deeper into the world of bees. One of the things that really interested me the most about bees was them as a community, that they behave almost like a whole body, and they communicate by means of these things called pheromones, which are really chemicals that are excreted by their scent glands. And I think they've got the highest number of scent glands in the um, insect world, so 15 scent glands or something, um, which produce tons of different pheromones for different purposes. And that pheromone just means that it's a chemical that is there to transmit a message and to elicit a behavior. So, um, and it is the most efficient, beautiful way to do that instantaneously almost. So we have, let's say, um, there's an intruder, um, which oftentimes is me. <laughs> I'll go into the hive. I can see and sometimes smell their fear pheromone, which smells like bananas, which is why you would never eat a banana and go into your hive. But um, they they emit that that fear pheromone, and it's like almost absolutely immediate that this whole body of a hundred thousand bees responds immediately. They're sending, you can hear the the pitch has gone up a little bit mm -hmm. and what's amazing to me is that happens instantaneously and the reason it happens instantaneously is because of the chemicals that they produce um, from their scent glands that are just, it, that's the most efficient way it seems to send a message from one bee to the other that there's a little bit of trouble and we better send the guard bees out to investigate. Um, the guard bees start to fly around. If I've dropped a frame or something, um, the pitch goes from like an E flat or something to a C sharp in like two seconds. Um, it's absolutely instantaneous. Communication-wise, it's beautiful too because they, they all, every single one of them, if you look at a hive of bees, you don't realize this, but every single one of those bees has touched the queen. They have to touch the queen because she has her own queen substance that is a pheromone that's unique to her. And that's how they know they're hers. So they'll come up to her and they'll touch her with their antenna or their, um, they'll lick her or they'll rub up against her. Every single one of them in the hive has done that. And um, in that way, they know where they belong. Now, if I were to open up this hive and there was no queen for some reason, the queen had died or um, there the queen was uh, sick or something like that and about to die, the mood in the hive is completely different. They also have this really cool um, pheromone, it's a scent gland on their abdomen, which makes them, um, which you'll see them lifting it up in the air, um, and what they do when they do that is they're telling all the other young foraging bees 
this is home, this is the hive. Um, even the babies, the little pupa and the larva, have very special pheromones called brood pheromones, and through those, it alerts the nurse bees to, oh, I've got to come and feed this little larva, or I've got to tend it. So the whole communication of the hive is around this kind of very immediate and total whole body reaction. If we're talking about auras and things, which seems to be what you, um, like the part around you that is you're still your energy. I, I find it very interesting that bees have, they have a very interesting function when they're flying through the air. They're completely furry everywhere on their entire body, including their eyeballs, which I, I love. If you were to look at every part of a bee, you would realize that they are hairy everywhere. That hair, as they're flying through the air, creates static electricity and it's sort of like a little magnetic field around them, kind of like when you take a balloon and you rub it on your hair and it sticks. So that when they land on a flower, all the pollen in that flower goes and sticks to them. Just a, it's just an amazing thing that like, okay, there, there was a little field around the, an energy field around the bee that just created this magnetic. So that is just another really neat thing about um, the energy of bees and their communication. And so all kinds of aura-ish stuff in there. I, I like the queen bee. It's sort of like her aura, you know, her aura, but it's really her pheromones on a physical level. Um, everyone has to get in contact with it, and that kind of shapes the mood of the hive. Again, to be clear, I'm not saying that bees are communicating through their aura. I'm saying the way that pheromones work in a beehive is the way auras work for human beings. There's also that that really cool thing. Yeah, you're flying, you get this static electricity, and that pulls pollen to you. And then just that, that the bees communicate. If one starts to have fear, it sends out this uh, fear signal. Everybody else starts to react. It moves through like it. And Swedenborg will mention things like bees. He talks about uh, spiders, all these that can weave webs, all these things that can do these amazing things he says look you're this is where you can see the divine design if you know how to look at it right so how you may be wondering how did we get that footage was that safe no it wasn't me it was matt we sent one of our producers in there uh be zipped them up and so don't worry nobody got harmed none of the bees got harmed and the cool thing is the reason you could go in that hive is you push this smoke on them so they can't get their pheromones to each other and that's just we saw earlier in the show this smoky aura so when that aura hits them, they chill out, you know, okay. So now that we've set sort of this physical groundwork for it, let's take a look at the effects of spiritual auras on people as Swedenborg describes them. Beginning in Secrets of Heaven 1506, he says, a certain spirit I had known and talked to when he lived in his body later appeared many times in the company of evil spirits. Because he had a high opinion of himself, he had developed an air of a superiority to others. And because he was like this, the other spirits suddenly fled, so that none but he could be seen. He then filled up his whole environment in all directions, and the atmosphere was one of concentration on himself. Soon afterwards, abandoned by fellow members of his own community as well, he sank into another state. Those in the other life who are deserted by the community in which they live seem to become half-dead at first. At that point, the only thing that keeps them alive is the influence of heaven on their inward capacities. Then he began to complain and to suffer." 
Other spirits later told me that they could not stand to have him near, because he considered himself more important than anyone else. Eventually, having formed ties with a new community, he rose high up and consequently seemed to himself to be governing the universe all alone. Those who are the, those who are the lengths to which those are the the lengths to which self love inflates our pride when left to itself. Afterwards, he was thrown down among hellish spirits. Such is a lot that awaits those who consider themselves greater than others. More than any other love, self love is opposed to mutual love, which is the life of heaven. So you sort of have that that guy is sort of the anti B. You know, in that hive, the hive works because everybody's thinking, how can I serve the whole? And nobody's even the queen. You know, this is not uh, ruling over everything. She's she's serving the hive, and the bees can actually kick her out if she's not doing a good job. So that, but when you're just focused on yourself, the community falls apart. And and actually, that's such a noxious aura that even your own community can barely stand to be around you. So that's a little plug for like, we're all cool, but we're not the center of the universe. You know what I mean? Okay, Secrets of Heaven 1509 is another experience that Swedenborg had. For several days, I had with me the kind of spirits who had not concentrated at all on the good of society when they lived in the world, but on themselves. They had been useless, so far as political office goes, and their only goal had been to live sumptuously, wear glamorous clothes, and grow rich. They were used to putting up pretenses, to find means of worming their way in everywhere by various kinds of flattery, and to vying for office with the sole purpose of making themselves visible and taking charge of their overlord's resources." Anyone engaged in any serious kind of work they regarded with contempt. They had been courtiers, I perceived. The effect they had was to sap me of all my energy and to make it burdensome for me to act on or think about anything worthwhile, anything true or good. So terribly burdensome that in the end I hardly knew what to do. When spirits like this come among other spirits, they infect them with a similar sluggishness. In the other life, they are useless members of society and are rejected wherever they go. So Swedenborg says... He was around these spirits, these basically corrupt politicians, and it was draining him of all of his energy. We, we are spirits in bodies. So Swedenborg, as a person living in this world, had a spirit, and because these other spirits were around him, he, in this world, was drained of energy, could barely do anything. That's the kind of impact that an aura can have on you. And this is actually a clip we're going to play now. We used it two episodes ago, but it relates right to this. This is another description of a negative impact of an aura. If we focus on ourselves at every point, our aura usurps and absorbs everything advantageous to us, including all the pleasure of the spirits around us. It destroys freedom in them. But when the common good of all is what people focus on, then no one ever usurps another's happiness or destroys another's freedom, but promotes and increases it as much as possible. That is why heavenly communities seem to form a unit, and this is the effect of mutual love alone which comes from the Lord. The same is true in the church. So maybe you're picking up a theme. Um, Swedenborg says, directly opposed to mutual love is what he calls love of self. It doesn't mean thinking you're a good person. It's a term that means I want everyone else to serve me. And when you're like that, it just messes up the aura because that is just not an element that leads to human happiness in community. So it's just, to me, the, realizing, okay, the less I can have that in my sort of thoughts, this placing myself above other people, the more I can, like, participate in the greater whole. Because otherwise, I'm really gumming up the works. You know what I mean? Okay. Secrets of Heaven, 1511. Much experience has taught me to recognize 
and to recognize as clearly as I recognize anything that spirits who are caught up in falsity influence our thinking and thoroughly convince us that falsity is true. We cannot see it in any other way, and this results from their aura. Demons, too, who are immersed in evil, influence our will in this way and cause evil to seem utterly good. We cannot feel it any other way, and this again results from their aura. I have had a thousand opportunities to perceive clearly the influence of each group, to tell who it came from, how angels working from the Lord removed the effects, and many other details besides, which cannot be well be listed individually. From this I could see two things with such certainty that nothing has ever seemed more certain to me. One is where the falsity and evil in us come from. The other is the fact that false assumptions and the desire for evil give rise to these auras that stay with us after physical life has ended and that display themselves so openly. So, he's saying there that uh, evil spirits, evil demons, these are two categories of negative spiritual entity, which is basically they're people who think falsely or, or love evil. We have these, as I said before, these two base qualities in us, that our thoughts and our feelings or our uh, love and or will and understanding, volition and discernment. It's been tra- translated a lot of ways, but Satan's as he describes them, evil spirits as he describes them, influence our thinking, get us to believe what's false, and demons get us to love what is evil. So you feel, you ever feel drawn towards something you know is not good, but it's like, but this just, why do I feel like this is pleasurable to me? Swedenborg would say that's the influence of hell. The, the aura of hell corrupts the will so that something, even if we know isn't good, seems like pleasurable and good in that way. And then the, and the same thing with thoughts, same thing with thoughts is that it can, this sphere of falsity from hell can corrupt and lead us to, you, you probably notice it in other people, right? You see people completely under the sway of principles that seem false and that this is a, a hellish influence. All evil and falsity is from hell through this, these spiritual channels. Uh, all good and truth is from heaven, from God. That's as Swedenborg put it anyway. All right, one more on auras and their effects. This is heaven and hell, number 409. Actual heavenly joy as it is and of itself is beyond description because it dwells in the deepest natures of angels. It flows from there into the details of their thoughts and affection and from these into the details of their speech and action. It is as though their deeper levels were wide open and freed to accept the delight and bliss that spreads out through all their fibers and therefore through their whole being, giving them a kind of perception and feeling that simply cannot be described." Anything that arises from the deepest levels flows into the details that derive from those deepest levels and proliferates toward the outer levels, constantly gaining strength. When good spirits who have not yet experienced this pleasure, not having been raised into heaven yet, perceive it from the aura of love from some angel, they are filled with such pleasure that they find themselves in a kind of sweet faint. This often often happens to people who want to know what heavenly joy is. And you'll get this in... Modern near-death experiences, modern spiritual experiences, they just feel this love that's overwhelming. They'll talk about beings that radiate love, and perhaps that's the same phenomenon, this aura phenomenon. So I wanted to end on that one because it's easy to just look at like the interesting negative ones, but love is the most powerful aura, and that can shine through. And the more we uh, are loving, the more we can shine through, right? I mean, that's what we want to talk about next section. If auras can make us smell bad or smell good, how do we get smelling good? You know, we, it's easy to prep the body to smell good, but how do you do it to the spirit? Part five. If you want 
to buy spiritual deodorant from the uh, Swedenborg Foundation. $10, just, I'm just going to, there's no such thing. Well, it's information. We're going to try to give it to you right now. But before we do, let's just stop for a second. Why are we talking about this aura stuff in the first place? Let's go to split screen. Okay. Um, so let's talk about it point by point. First of all, we're not having this information to try to judge people. We're just trying to get what's going on. So if we're talking about a spiritual smell, it's not like, oh man, that guy's probably got a terrible aura. She's got a horrible aura. We're just trying to figure out how the mechanics work because judgment is its own negative aura, right? Okay, next. Cultivating positive auras. We're trying to try to do good in yourself. And for, for me, thinking about the idea that my personality is going to be this thing spilling out from me on a spiritual level that that in the life that we go to that we spend all you know the majority of our time in um that's going to be so present it's just a helpful reminder to hey i better get this stuff in order and the next um to look for the influence of negative auras on us and what we're involved in so you heard in that last section Swedenborg talking about getting exhausted, the false ideas, this kind of stuff can come to us. Just if you're in a situation, you don't know why you're feeling like you are, or some kind of negativity comes over, just give a thought, is this is this a spiritual thing? Is there some kind of field I'm in? That, that may be the sort of the answer or a missing piece of the puzzle of human emotional interaction. It often seems like things are so loaded between certain people or that we just, why are we feeling like this today? There's no reason for me to be feeling bad. Is there a spiritual component? Just have yourself open to that potential. And then finally, the last one really goes with that, realizes that moods can be affected by the spirit. I find the most potent, one of the most potent tools in Swedenborg is his idea that things that you'd think were inseparable from yourself, I'm feeling this certain way, I'm thinking this certain way, you can actually say, this is not mine, please take it away, and you can find some separation, right? So that's why we're doing it, all right? And so if we're looking to clean up our own aura, don't worry. It's just like you can, you, you got to take care of the body, you got to clean your body, you got to clean your kitchen, or both of them will smell, right? That's that's it. It's not this huge thing. If you look in True Christianity 5.30, the spiritual deodorant really is repentance or re- regeneration, as Swedenborg describes it. And he says, repentance becomes effective if we practice it regularly. Afterward, if we abstain from one sin or, or another that we have discovered in ourselves, this is enough to make our repentance real. So just one thing that you're saying, this might be harmful, I'm going to back off from it. When we reach this point, we are on the pathway to heaven, because we then begin to turn from an earthly person into a spiritual person, and to be born anew with the help of the Lord. And if you want to know more about the, the regeneration, is this whole big topic, uh, there's actually a book the Swedenborg Foundation put together. This is all quotes from Swedenborg, but he talks about it in different parts of different books. This is them all pulled together, put in an easy-to-understand way. Uh, you can download this for free. It's a free PDF. It's a free ebook. You just go to Swedenborg.com. There should be, a, you could probably click this, or there's a link down there. So if you want to know more about what he says about that. And then finally, you might, from this, have gathered like, oh man, uh, uh, everything inside of me is going to be super visible and tangible and perceptible, and uh, you can smell it in the other life. That's going to be horrible. It's going to be terrible. It's it's not that bad. Um, the the there is God. God is love for everyone and understanding of all of us and and where we are and why we are like we are. So it's not just like we just get blasted there. Everyone sees our every flaw all the time. Actually, it's only 
these these auras are only permitted to come out when it's helpful. So Secrets of Heaven 1520, Swedenborg talks about this. Although I've been talking about the way a spirit's inner dimensions can be perceived through auras radiating from and generated by the spirit, and through smells too, it needs to be known that these indicators did not display themselves all the time. In addition, the Lord modifies them in various ways to keep a spirit's character from lying open to others' view all the time. So we're taken care of and then further in spiritual experiences. But as for inward qualities regarding the life and faith of the like, they are not to be judged. Only the Lord knows them. A thousand can appear alike outwardly. In fact, speak alike and yet be wholly unalike as to those qualities. Meaning, you can see somebody and based on their external life, the way you see them living or your impression of them, you can think, oh, they're like this spiritually. If we were talking in the parlance of this show, oh, their aura would be like this. They would spiritually smell like this, but we don't know. Swedenborg says it's forbidden to make spiritual judgments, which are essentially judgments of motives. We don't know why people are doing the things they are. We don't know how much they have on their plate. We don't know what circumstances brought them there. Swedenborg says you can have a hundred people doing the same thing, and those actions can look a hundred different ways to angels, because angels know why, why things are happening. So it could be that somebody who seems really negative, uninvolved, something like that, actually spiritually they're doing really well and somebody who seems all like like oh look at curtis is doing a show on spirituality he must be so great could be that he's not so great at all you know so every swedenborg at one point says everybody is surprised so the point of that is don't judge judging is not good you can you can judge actions meaning like i need to protect myself from this or that harmful thing but as far as saying i know what you're like in your soul don't do it it ain't cool it's not good at all all right if you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe our channel here. That would be great. That helps us up in a lot of ways. We would really appreciate it. The show's not over, of course. We haven't gotten to your questions yet, but we're going to right on the other side of this quick break that we're going to now. Okay, now is the time. It's time to get the questions in. Let's see. So I'm talking about smell and aura and vomit at times. So what do you guys think of all that? Does it make sense? Let's hear your questions. Okay. Intention. What does Swedenborg say anything about how one can become more perceptible to auras? Or yeah. So so how can I think what you're saying is how can we sense those more? And that the answer to that is not necessarily. There's this peculiar phenomenon where Swedenborg wrote a ton of material on the spiritual world, all based on his kind of opening of the veil, but, and he gives, so, he's devotes so much time, you saw there was this whole book on regeneration telling us how to, how you can reform yourself, he talks about all the nature of everything, he doesn't really lay out a lot how to have these experiences on your own. I think, you know, it would be, first of all, it would be knowledge. I mean, what we're doing here is trying to arm you with this stuff that can get you to notice things. I would imagine, this is just me imagining, knowledge of things like correspondences, 
could open you up to that, like getting the link between the physical and the spiritual. You'd have to ask, you know, other people get this all the time. You know, you heard in that story earlier in it, there was a woman who wasn't trying to see auras, but had had been meditating, and then all of a sudden this popped in. So it may just be part of a path. In her case, what you weren't trying to do it, and it happened. There may be other people who have techniques and and how to get into it, but that's going to be my answer from the perspective of this program. Thanks. Great question. Okay, next one. BMG Visual Media. Do believers in Christ have a brighter aura than unbelievers? Well, it's not really about what you believe because you could, I mean, it depends on what you mean by believers in Christ. You could believe these concepts about Jesus Christ, um, about God, but if you live an evil life, your aura is going to stink. Because as I said, there are these two major parts, the intellect and the will. The intellect is ideas and belief. The will is what you love and how you act, how you treat people. So Swedenborg, who was from the Christian world and was a Christian, said that Christianity could be a great vehicle to becoming an excellent angel. He also spent a lot of time talking about all the really nasty people in hell he met who were from the Christian world, or, you know, as in they had these doctrines, they said, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, I do this, but they acted hatefully towards people and wanted power, and actually at heart barely even believed this stuff. So aura, aura has to do with love and intention. There's no one particular belief system that is going to guarantee you a brighter aura because uh, it's really about love. So hopefully that makes sense. Okay, next one. Jeffrey. Where does Swedenborg talk about how he perceived this, or where he started to sense the spiritual? Well, this particular, this aura thing, we, as you saw, it was from a segment in, in Secrets of Heaven, um, I, Volume 2, where he talks specifically about um, auras. He has this little section where he says, this is all about auras. As far as where he started to sense the spiritual, that would be in his Swedenborg's, uh, I think it's called now Dream Diary, used to be called Journal of Dreams, um, and it's on, Swedenborg Foundation has some on their website. Uh, that's where he started, talked about where he started to sense that stuff. You can see his progression into it. There's also his Journal of Spiritual Experiences where he talks to as well. He'll talk in his published works, those are both unpublished books that people found later and published, but in his published works, he kind of just spreads it out. He doesn't start with the beginning of his story, but that's where you'd probably find uh, the best leads there. Okay, thanks. So let's take a look at another. Barb, does Swedenborg say there is a purpose for us to learn to see auras while here? Is there a usefulness to seeing them here? Very good question. He says that it is wisdom to, while we're in this life, be preparing ourselves for eternal life. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to try to experience all of the spiritual world while you're here, but the more you understand the way the spiritual world is, uh, the better you can prep yourself. It really, but everything you learn about the spiritual world comes down to morality and how you treat each other, because you're seeing all these auras, and these auras are instant indicators of the damage that toxic attitudes towards others have, and the good things that come from. So there's sort of a reminder you know, of, oh, this is really the tangible effect of love and not love on people. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's not a requirement to know about auras. He doesn't, he doesn't, he really, really stresses his regeneration. Like we said there, work on shunning bad things. That's the number one thing. This could be a helpful tool 
to get you know knowledge about this kind of stuff and certainly filling your mind with truths knowing spiritual things like this that's a plane in the mind into which heaven can act and that's that's really important in the reformation process so it's it's both it has benefits it's not essential but it it can give you a leg up so that that's my thoughts on that okay next one this is from another barb can people who are perceptive pick up on the spiritual scent of people in the way spirits can respond either with comfort attraction or be rather ill to their stomach around others? Uh, yes, so uh, this, you can. Swedenborg says that his spiritual senses were open and so he was able to perceive that kind of thing. I think you'll probably, if you start to search the web, or smell that kind of thing. If you start to search the web, you'll get people who can probably perceive smells that aren't that don't seem to have a physical origin. So everyone that you're interacting with has a spirit as well as a body. So I would imagine you could be able to pick that up. Um, I've never had that experience, but I, you know, I I just do a quick Google search of you know uh, smelling auras or, or something like that, uh, and you probably will find a lot of stories like in that website we had where people list their experiences. I'm sure there's a lot out there of people beginning to have this smell perception. I know there's people who feel like they can get a sense of people like this person is is going to harm me. This person is not. How accurate it is, I don't know. So those are my thoughts on that. Great question. Let's look at another one. This is Farticus. <laughs> he probably's got a great aura. Uh, is it possible for these negative spirits to perceive the effect they have on others and thus change for the better, or is this only possible in life? That's a really good question. I really appreciate it, um, and it's one that I don't feel like I have a good answer to. So the way Swedenborg describes it, you certainly can change in this life. I mean, that the essence of this life is change. There is a period in the spiritual world where, as he describes it, you know how I taught, was talking earlier about the world of spirits, um, that that's kind of a, a first stop. There's a lot of change that he talks about going on in the world of spirits. And actually, experiences like the one that you're mentioning, can people uh, experience their own aura and change from that. People are put through all kinds of experiences in that first phase in the in this world of spirits where they get to see the negative side of themselves and they do move down. There's a place called the lower earth, which was like a, it's not hell, but it's like it sort of where people go sort of get shaken up if, if that's what it takes and then they can rise into heaven after that. So there certainly is change going on there. After you've been all sorted out, it seems like you choose heaven or hell, and because that's where you love, and then generally, once you're in a state of hell, which is a state of loving, harming other people, you're shown something like that, you don't like it, but you eventually, even if you're shown it, you might for a little while, oh, that's gross, but it doesn't change what you love, because you, you go back to it after a while. He does make some statements earlier in his works that seem to indicate people can be reformed from from the hell state into heaven, but I, there's other places where he says, no, you make your choice in this world. As far as the great, it seems like things recycle on a physical level, you know, even, even manure turns back into plants, would seem like somehow there would be people able to, everyone someday could get to heaven. Swedenborg doesn't say that that would happen, but you would think if God is love. So it's obviously that my rambling answer shows there's a lot to talk about. And it's a good question. So hopefully those are some interesting Uh, bits of answer I gave you there. So thank you. Let's take a look at the next one. Uh, Jim, did Swedenborg say anything about colors or electromagnetic auras? 
he didn't the, so i don't know i don't even know if electromagnetic was known as a concept in swedenborg's day he was writing in the mid 1700s um uh i'd have to look into that he does talk about colors i mean he, he look especially in his journal of spiritual experiences um he he talks about different colors appearing around different glows i remember once he talks about um uh, what he calls a heavenly color, but also translated as like light blue. So there is that. It's not like when you look at modern descriptions of auras, the first thing you run into is there's this color around the head. There's He talks, as you saw in our presentation, more about like fiery, smoky, um, but he does also mention color as well. Okay, it looks like we have two more questions. Let's take a look at them. Miranda, what can we do to help others that are spiritually sleeping and do not want to be awakened? What would Swedenborg do? Man, Swedenborg would send copies of his writings to universities. That's actually what he did. Um, he was When he was writing this stuff, he was really trying to get the word out. Nobody was listening to him. It's kind of like today. We make this little show. Just kidding. There are a lot of people listening, which for which I am always grateful. Um, he was definitely on a crusade to try to get this information out. He was he would send his books, package them up, send them to universities, to to churches, to places where they might get read. He was always trying to get people to to be interested in this. Um he would he would but he wouldn't if like if he was invited to somebody's house, he the the reports are he wouldn't try to monopolize the conversation and talk about this stuff. If he was asked, he would. But there, in just like person to person settings, he was pretty chill. Although there was other times there was a there's a story that I won't get into the whole thing. But he was talking to this bishop who they he had invited him over and he had confronted the bishop like, "Hey man, if you don't turn around, you you're gonna go to hell." And he was like, actually said, "You're gonna get sick." coming up soon, and that's going to kind of be God's last-ditch effort to turn you around, to get you to realize the way you're living. Um, so he went right at him there, and the bishop got sick, and uh, apparently had this turnaround, changed his, his like servants, all noticed he was just a totally different guy after it. So it's a balance. I think, you know, you can't go around in personal relationships saying, hey, you got to wake up, you're asleep, because that's just going to push people away. Um lead to people like, who do you think you are? Um, I feel like there's there's as much as you can do. You know, if they're not open to it, they may be down the road. Um, or you might want to find, I, people will light up in, about certain things. There's plenty of people who might think a web show like this about these kinds of concepts with this sort of language, that's nothing good, but they might find a different tradition or something that, that doesn't even seem like spirituality at first, but is filling that need for them. And maybe that's where they got to start, or maybe that's the beginning of their their journey. So I would say, you know, there's a few things Swedenborg did, but, you know, you got to have a little bit of discernment about how hard can you push in a particular area. Sometimes it, it does take people having catastrophes in their life. That's the only thing that opens them up. Not that you can cause catastrophes, but if it happens, they begin that search on their own, or they just have some kind of experience. You have people say, I was, you know, I was just suddenly, either they have some kind of physical accident, or they just get this experience, and that changes the trajectory of their life. So, I don't know. I don't have the answers to specific situations, but I can just say a few thoughts in a row, and so that's what I did. All right, let's take a look at our next one. Our last one, Dominique is there a chemical substance that allows you to access the perception of these auras? Um, 
Not that I know of. I mean, you, you could get a lot of different answers from different... There's obviously a lot of chemicals that'll take you on a trip. People talk about DMT, those kinds of things. That, that This opens the spiritual world. I don't know. And I don't know if there's any that particularly leads to auras. I haven't seen anything about that. Um, so that's what I have to say about that. I'll, I'll fizzle on the on the last one there. Okay, so... Everybody, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for being a part of it. If you enjoyed this show, consider making a donation to the Swedenborg Foundation. We are a nonprofit group. Click this thing here. Click this little I here. There's a link in the description or on the homepage. Even a little donation will be matched five to one because we have a grant from a foundation that we only get to use if other people donate. So if you donate even five bucks, uh, that can make a big difference. We'd really appreciate you thinking about it. It's tax deductible because we're a 501c3 and everything. So, you know, if you want this programming to continue and to reach other people, would love some support. That's great. Thanks, man. And next week, um, it's not just going to be a regular Monday show. Are you listening? It's not a regular Monday show next week. It's actually happening Saturday night. There is a special presentation. Dr. Raymond Moody, who's been on this program before, and uh, some other researchers and guests that have been on this show are going to be doing this presentation. Yours truly will host it uh, at, at a theater near here where they're talking about a research project they're going into uh, to try to learn more about sort of the link between the spiritual world and the physical world. We're going to be broadcasting that live on Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern Time here on this channel. If you so you can tune in live to that. If you can't make it, we will rebroadcast that Saturday night thing in the usual Monday time slot so you guys can watch it and chat room about it and that kind of thing. Um, but if you want the live experience live, join us Saturday. And don't worry about remembering what I just said. It's going to say it on this outro graphic. So I'll take you to that now. Hopefully see you then. It's been a great time hanging out with you here. Appreciate the thoughtful questions, and, and I love having you all watching. Uh, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.